And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. If you experience mental health difficulties during the pandemic, this episode is for you. The scale of the problem is staggering, but our guest today, Russell Glass, is doing his utmost to solve it. Russell is the CEO of Headspace Health, a company formed by the 2021 merger of Ginger and Headspace. Ginger, which he founded in 2018, delivered accessible and easy virtual mental health care. Russell has been creating companies constantly since his flagship tennis racket business at the tender age of 13. He's also a practice and thoughtful leader. And today he shares his life lessons on both his leadership and entrepreneurship experience. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome Russ. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. And so I thought it would be uh, great for our listeners to hear a bit your background. You were founder and CEO before, but I think Ginger was your first health-related company that you worked on. And if you can tell us about your background that led you to be where you are today. I'd be happy to. And yes, Ginger, Ginger was the first healthcare company. I've been a longtime entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 13 years old. It was a, a tennis racket stringing business. And I think I, I caught the entrepreneurial bug because my father it was a textile entrepreneur himself. And so I, you know, always, always had an interest and a curiosity about starting companies and growing companies. When I went to college, I ran two companies in college. One was a, a delivery service. So bringing sandwiches from Subway on campus to the students. And another was the on-campus bar. So that was a lot of fun. And have been entrepreneurial in my career ever since. I, I joined a company called Trilogy Software in Austin, Texas, which was a very entrepreneurial uh, company uh, back in the late 90s. I founded a company that was my first venture-backed company when I was 23 years old. Made every mistake you could possibly make in, in that one, which, you know, I, at the time was a disaster, but really led me to dig deep and understand why did we fail and what were the, the learnings that would lead to success ultimately. I was then a part of a number of, of early stage companies. Zoom Info was one. I was the first product and marketing leader at Zoom Info. I founded a company called Bizzo from there and ultimately Learned all the lessons that I I, <laughs> I failed um, not understanding in my first venture back startup, and we grew that one to be a wonderful company. Sold it to LinkedIn. I then ran the marketing solutions product group at LinkedIn for a number of years through the Microsoft acquisition of LinkedIn. Then took some time off to be dad, and uh, have three daughters that I, I wanted to spend time with. So did that for over a year. And decided that I still had entrepreneurial energy, but if I was going to leave them every day, it needed to be for something that was important in the world, that needed to exist in the world. And so that journey of, of really impact entrepreneurship led me to Ginger, which is an on-demand mental health company. And I was just, I fell in love with the staggering amount of need. This was in 2018, and I saw the 
the huge increase in in anxiety, depression, suicidality that was happening. And and on the other side, there were a shrinking workforce. There fewer and fewer mental health providers were going into the space, more were retiring. And I decided I could spend the rest of my career focused on on that. So took over as CEO of Ginger. We had a wonderful ride. And then the pandemic hit and we decided we needed to get as as scaled as we possibly could as fast as possible to help as many people around the world as we can. And, and, and that's when we decided to merge with Headspace to create Headspace Health. And I'm currently the CEO of, of Headspace Health. And, you know, our, our mission is to create the world's most accessible and comprehensive mental health platform. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I did not know that you started when you were 13. Um, that's definitely young. And it's interesting that you did not start with lemonade because I think a lot of people always tell the lemonade stand story, but you have the stringing tennis. Can you share with us a little bit? You mentioned about the, when, you know, when you're 23, you start that first company, the first, I mean, what mistake that you made? Like you said that every mistake that you, you made, you learned there and that somehow helped you to get to where you are. When I, you know, when you fail, you, you look back and you dig a lot deeper than you do when you succeed. When you succeed, you just think, oh, I was really smart. You know, you don't work too hard on why you succeeded. When you fail, you really dig in and understand, like, what went wrong here. And in almost every case, it got back to people and culture. And we really were not intentional about the culture we were building. We weren't intentional about the values we cared about. We we didn't have a framework for deciding the kinds of people that we wanted around the table. And that led to the wrong kind of environment for success. And so when I then took those learnings to my next, you know, founding story, when I founded Bizzo, which is a company in the B2B data space, the first thing I did was write down the cultural tenets. Literally, before I even named the company, I wrote down the cultural tenets that I wanted to build this company around. And, you know, that, that purposeful approach to building a culture allows you to do a number of things. First is hire the right kinds of people, right? Really have a specific set of things you care about to allow you to bring the right bring the right people onto the team. It then allows you to hold people accountable because if they're not living up to those those cultural tenets or those values that you care about, then you can have a conversation to either help improve or make a decision that they're not the right fit for the company you're trying to build. So these these this core became what was so special about the company we built at Bizzo. And, and since then, my entrepreneurial pursuits, you know, at Ginger and now Headspace Health, it's the core of how I build cultures and how I mm-hmm. uh, grow companies. So you mentioned about, I mean, it's interesting you said that. I think a lot of the time, uh, especially in the technology, people focus on the technology and not so much the culture first, uh, it feels. Um I could be wrong, but it's nice to hear that what you were saying. You mentioned about you have the tenant. Like, what kind of framework do you have? Is there something that you can share? Like, 
what articulture that maybe other people can learn from it and that they can impl- apply it to their startups. Absolutely. I, you know, first of all, every company is different. And depending on what industry you're in and depending on what you're trying to accomplish, you may have some different forms of what matters in, a, in your culture or what matters in your values. The first piece of the framework for me, though, is that the cultural tenets are actually different from the values. So when I talk about cultural tenets, what I am, what I'm talking about is what is the environment that we aspire to create? What is the environment that we want people to exist in and be successful within? And so for, in the case of Headspace Health, as an example, we have five core cultural tenets that we care about. Optimistic is one. Impactful is two. Inclusive is three. Innovative is four. And fun is five. And so anytime I'm interviewing somebody, I'm thinking about these cultural tenets. Is this person living up to optimism? You know, someone, are they, do they believe that, is it someone that's going to explore possibilities instead of focusing on the roadblocks? Mm-hmm. Is it someone that thinks tomorrow is going to be better than today? Right? Uh, innovative. Someone who's not afraid to take calculated risks, right? Someone who wants to learn, wants to solve for what, you know, is in front of them in, in unique and interesting ways. So these are the kinds of things we look for from the cultural side. Now, values are different. Values are how you make decisions as an organization. And so as you scale, you're not going to be in every decision as an entrepreneur, right? You can't be. Otherwise, you can't scale. You, you, you're the roadblock to, to scale. And so what you need to do is create a framework. And again, in my opinion, what you need to do is create a framework that allows everybody at the company to know how to make decisions. And so for us, one of our key values, put members first. And so if you're at the company and you're making a decision that feels like it Maybe it feels like it is a member's first decision. It's probably an easy decision. Mm-hmm. If it feels like it may not be a member's first decision, well, that's a decision we should probably talk about, right? That's one that we may want to have a conversation about. And so, you know, a few others, we cultivate compassion is one of our values. So mm-hmm. are we making decisions with compassion in mind? Um, act with integrity. Right? Is this, is this decision being done in a way that is transparent, that is honest, mm-hmm. that is data driven? Right. So these are the kinds of things that we want to be explicit about because if you write those down, it gives people the ability to look and say, okay, this feels like a good decision. I'm going to move forward with it or we should spend more time thinking about it. So I assume you have that values stated that the team knows by heart that they they have to remember or constantly remind it. Because I think sometimes in the rush of things, sometimes people make a decision because they just want to make a quick decision. And how do you instill that? I guess my question. So we call this our vision to values. And it's not just the culture and the values. It starts with vision, mission, and goes all the way through audiences, strategies, priorities, 
culture values. And part of how we do this is every single person who joins the company is trained on this, the vision and values. We repeat it constantly. Uh, you know, so every single all hands, we have all hands every other week is attached to one of our priorities. We are constantly talking about our culture, our value tenets. You know, you paint them on the walls. I mean, the, 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 to your point, if, if you write this down and it goes into an employee handbook that's never opened, you're not accomplishing what you need to accomplish. You have to repeat it. You have to live it. You have to make it part of the everyday experience of the organization. And we, we work hard to make sure that we're constantly helping people think about, you know, the importance of the vision to values framework. And it's incredibly valuable to people to have all of that. We actually have a placemat view of this. So on a single slide, the entire vision to values, it's kind of the summary of the whole organization on a single slide. It is super hard to get the entire company onto a single slide, but it is immensely impactful if you can do it. If you can take the time, it took us three months to put this into a single slide. It's kind of like that Mark Twain quote, right? Sorry about the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. But if you, you know, if you can take the time to write the short version of this, it's immensely impactful and it really helps create alignment across the organization. I totally agree. I mean, I've seen one framework that everything is one page, then you can see all the dots connected instead of in multiple pages. And it's amazing how our brain functions sometimes. And in a way, when you set the culture, uh, it's almost, I, you know, this is my personal opinion. It's almost like the leaders started it out and they set the culture. And it's almost so important to find the right CEO in a way to run the company. But then again, like if sometimes you're a founder, but that's not what you believe as an investor, would you invest in that kind of CEO? That if it doesn't fit the culture of an investor, I mean, it doesn't fit what the investor believe a culture that can be successful for a company. Well, and I think I understand the question. Uh, you know, as an investor, like in the case of Ginger, you know, the, the, the culture of Ginger wasn't quite working. And the investor decided, you know, and with, by the, by the way, support from uh, one of the co-founders in particular, a guy named Karan Singh, decided that we needed to find a new CEO. And their approach was very focused on, we think we need a CEO that comes from outside of the industry. You know, a CEO that has a real product background that can bring fresh thinking, but also understands scale, understands how to build a company and build an organization, but then has the understanding of how do you build great cultures and how do you build successful cultures. So I don't know if they necessarily thought about what kind of culture I built, but they certainly thought about someone who understood how to build a successful culture. And then as I started to interview with the team and as we started to get to know each other, I think that's when you start to get into, you know, does the team 
believe in the kinds of cultures I build and the kind of cultures I care about. And every company is different. Every CEO is different. You know, to me, one of the most important aspects of a great leader is a leader who understands their strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and can build teams and cultures that help bolster those weaknesses, right? So for me, as a, as a great example, I'm not somebody who loves to be deep, deep, deep in the details. That I can, and I will if I have to, but it's draining to me, right? It, it saps my energy. And so I have to build teams around me of people who love to be in those details, mm-hmm. right? And that I can trust to be in those details because I'd rather be focused on product stuff and strategy stuff and, you know, more creative stuff. And so that every CEO has to understand that, right? Some CEOs are deep in the details. They don't want to hire detail-oriented people because those people will be driven crazy by that, you know, CEO. They need people that are riding a little higher, right, to balance mm-hmm. out their strengths. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping med tech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. So interesting that setting up the culture for Ginger and then now with the, the merge with the Headspace, two different company, probably there's some cultural difference that how do you bring all everybody come together to be in the same place? It's hard. It, it, you know, it's, it, I've done a number of, of these now, acquisitions, mergers, and everyone's different. You know, you think, you think you've learned a lot and then you go into it and you realize, oh, didn't expect that or didn't know that was going to happen. Or, and doing it in a pandemic is a totally new thing because so much of building trust and building you know, understanding is being in person together and getting to know each other. And it, that's harder right now. I would say that you know, a lot of what we just talked about becomes even more important in a merger. First of all, the recognition that this is a refounding moment is an important one. So bringing two companies together that are relatively the same size, everybody understanding that you're going to take some of the best of each cultures, but not everything. And you're going to refound a brand new organization that we all get to be a part of, right? We all get to be a part of defining what this new organization is. So that's one. Two is, Again, be very explicit about what are what are our vision and values. What are we out there to try to accomplish? What's what's the world look like if we're successful? What is you know the the core strategies we're going to use to be differentiated in the world, all the way down to the the culture and 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 values we care about. And by defining that explicitly then you can start to bring these cultures together in alignment with that. But it's hard. It takes, it takes time. You know, we're six months in to the merger closing. So we closed in early October. 
And we're still, you know, on that on that trajectory of bringing these two cultures together. Right. It's so interesting. I mean, my first experience uh, when people talk about merger and culture, my first job at when I was a sophomore for Kraft Foods and when they merged with General Foods and the big class of culture, I don't think they ever resolved that. And I remember when I was working in M&A for investment banking, everybody's talking about the synergy and the culture that that dictates whether the merger is going to be successful or not. How do you, I mean, I know it's six months in, it's just, it's still new. Everybody's adjusting. I think helping everybody to change, I think, I guess there's a lot of changes. How do you, how do you shepherd everybody to feel like this is a change that, you know, benefit them personally, but also benefit the community, the organization as a whole? I think it's a combination of things. First of all, it's, doing as much as you can to create psychological safety to help people feel like they are being heard to you know bring together the the leadership and the management teams and ensure that they are both part of the process of determining what is our future but also understand how to articulate these core attributes of the company so that they can be successful in bringing their teams together. Because if, you know, a merger, it's interesting, you look at it as a single thing, but it's actually multiple sub-mergers in the large merger. You know, each team is accomplishing a merger (laughs) and each team is different and each team needs different things. And each team, depending on where they were in their life cycles, may have to merge differently than every other team. And so the recognition that each one of these organizations is going through its own merger and it's going to happen at a different pace mm-hmm. because some are more complex than others, but that's okay, right? Giving people the license to say, here's what this feels like it should look like. It's aligned with our vision and values. And based on that, here's how we want to organize the team. This may take, for an example, in our case, you know, we were very quick to integrate the sales organization, but the tech team just got reorganized. And we still have work that we're doing to reorganize other parts of the organization. So, you know, and that's okay, right? Giving people the understanding that these things are going to take different amounts of time. And the focus is on long term success. Mm-hmm. You're going to have ups and downs in the short term because this is complicated. You have two of everything. You don't need two of everything when you bring a company together, right? So how how do you make that work together? It takes time. Yeah. And I think sometimes people always, whenever there's change, there's always, everybody's nervous about how's that going to impact them? Them personally. Absolutely. And that's very natural. And so again, being clear about expectations what do we believe this should look like as a new company? Super important. So everybody has a framework. And then allowing them to decide how best to meet that framework gives everybody license to come together and you know feel ownership and how, how they are going to be part of this uh, growing organization. And then you have, in a way, that tenet of your culture that helps. That's right. That's right. And we're, you know, we're fortunate. 
we're a highly mission driven organization. You know, we, we're trying to transform mental health care to improve the health and happiness of the world, right? You can get behind that. <laughs> that feels like something that needs to happen. And I think you also attract different kind of people to begin with. That's right. That's right. So one of the things that, you know, going, um, changing topic a little bit, um, your, your background is in, from the tech side. And oftentimes people say, well, the tech people, they don't know well how healthcare works. I mean, you see Amazon is working on it. And I think we all believe that one, one day they'll make it big. And Google is doing the same thing. And what are the top three things that you learned running a tech company that now you apply it to the health that most people would not think that it might be relevant? Besides the culture and the vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think there are a few things. I mean, outside of building great culture and, and you know, the, the areas where we've talked about already, one is that I think in the healthcare space, it's easy to get stuck on the complexities and assume that innovation is not possible, right? That, you know, because it's always been done a certain way, it needs to continue to be done a certain way. And, and so I think that's one just different frame of mind that somebody who comes from the tech industry is able to bring. And, and frankly, part of it is I was naive enough to be able to ask questions that people in the healthcare industry might have found to be dumb questions. You know, and I could get away with it because I would say, well, you know, this might be stupid, but why? Why don't we do it this way? And invariably, someone would say, well, never seen it done that way, but try it, <laughs> you know, and sometimes it works. And you've solved something that that is unique and differentiated. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one of the examples we use at Ginger is that we, provide the vast majority of our care today via text, you know, via chat. It's a HIPAA-compliant chat-based subclinical set of interactions. 80% of our members are cared for at that subclinical level. I don't think anybody would have believed that you could get the outcomes that we get that way. But it turns out that not only does that allow us to have better data, create a more scalable ecosystem, better machine learning and AI against it because it's more structured, but it actually reduces the friction to get somebody started in mental health care, which is a huge problem in mental health. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier just to start chatting with someone than to make an appointment and get on the phone and, you know, just before even like you'd have to drive to an office and your car would be parked in the office and somebody might see you walking in to see a psychiatrist, right? This in the comfort of your home, you're sitting comfortably on your couch. You're going to start texting someone. And we've found that to be immensely effective. And, and I don't, you know, I think if you had come from the healthcare industry, you probably wouldn't have gone that direction, right? You probably would have said, that's not going to work. Right. We need to see the patient. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think even, I think the pandemic also open I, a lot of eyes to one of my friends who is a primary care dog is like, no, we need to see and touch the patient. And then during the pandemic time, it's like, hey, I need to see patients. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, 
you know, it's, it's, uh, innovation, you know, comes from crises and a lot, you know, necessity is the mother of all innovation. Right. And so I think the pandemic as, as brutal as it's been on all of us has certainly accelerated certain areas of innovation that we'll never go back from. And I think it's very positive in a lot of ways. And one last question before we head, I just have to ask this question. So what's the story behind the merger? Why you you guys decide like this is something that makes sense for the company in order to scale and grow? A few a few core reasons. One was that we realized, so we had had great success at Ginger growing pretty quickly, like right. 3x year over year for a number of years running. But we saw just how fast the health of the world was deteriorating during the, the mental health of the world was deteriorating during the pandemic. It was, it was bad before and it just got staggeringly bad during this period. You saw, you know, 40% of the population four zero is at clinical levels of anxiety and depression. 60% of those under 25 are at clinical levels of anxiety and depression. This is a a staggeringly big problem. And so we looked at that and said, okay, if there was ever a time to rapidly scale, now is it, right? This is the, the people, if it, if it takes us five years or 10 years to grow to a certain scale, that's too long. How do we go faster? And that led us to a process of looking around the industry at, you know, different companies that were doing different things. And what we loved about Headspace, first of all, is it's science-based. So an immense amount of research, peer-reviewed studies, RCTs, proving just how valuable and life-changing mindfulness and meditation can be. You can almost think of it like toothbrushing for the mind. You know, we don't brush our teeth because we have tooth problems today. We brush our teeth because we're trying to prevent tooth problems. Mindfulness and meditation is the same thing for the mind. It's, it's brushing your mind to prevent problems down the road. So that was one. We, we, we saw that it was very science-based, just like Ginger has been. But two is that we saw the need to get further upstream of these clinical problems. We needed the world to get active in helping brush their mind. And so by bringing these two things together, a beloved brand in Headspace, millions of users. It allowed us a platform to get much more of the population in earlier, but then on the other side, extend into coaching, therapy, psychiatry, live care for those who need it. Because the problem Headspace had was at the moment of the most critical need, they couldn't help their members. By bringing these two platforms together, you have an entirely virtual global platform that can help you know, the vast majority of the world with whatever mental health issue they're facing. And that, it felt like the right, right time to do that. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you. Uh, it's definitely a cost that's worth, uh, uh, I can sense your, feel your passion uh, in uh helping uh, people dealing with their mental health and uh, I think it's very fulfilling and rewarding when you you feel like you make an impact I agree well thank you for having me it's been a it's been a pleasure thank you 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.